My name is Heath. I am the lead pastor of Reach Community Church, and I'm excited that you're here. And we say this, or I say this a lot, um, the reality is that if God doesn't intervene with us during this service, during my message, um, there's nothing to be had, honestly. But his word does in and through us what we cannot do for ourselves. So I'm going to do something a little different. We're going to be just quiet for just a second. And it's going to feel like forever, but it literally is going to be like 10 seconds. And here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to read out of the uh, Acts today, out of the Bible. And I'm going to share with you what I feel like God has put on my heart to share today. But the reality is, is if we invite God to speak, I believe that God has something for you regardless of what I've prepared because God speaks to us. So we're going to be quiet for just about 10 seconds. And during that, just ask. Just say, God, if you've got something for me today, I want it. So let's do it. Lord, we are grateful that you didn't leave us alone, that you didn't leave us without instruction, that you didn't leave us without a way and a means to know you. And so today, as we talk about, as we discuss, as we look at your word um, concerning the Holy Spirit, Lord, I ask that you would speak, not me that you would um, show and share and encourage uh, those in this room with the reality that it is the gift that you gave us to interact with you here. We just ask that as, or I just ask as I share your word, as I share my heart, um, that that you would do what you need to do. Sometimes in spite of me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago actually, I um, preached out of um, Acts 1. And so I'd made a comment about the reality that there was this ragtag bunch of losers, and I, yeah, I did call them the losers, um, these apostles that really couldn't get anything right. They were around Jesus. They heard Jesus. They saw Jesus. They experienced everything that we did not. And they still missed it. I mean, what we talked about in Acts 1, I mean, they're like, so Jesus raises from the dead, which he said that he would, and they're, you know, shocked by that. They weren't there waiting for him to come out of the tomb. And and finally, on the last day before he goes up into heaven, one of his disciples said, unnamed, of course, are you going to set up your kingdom now? Still missing the point. And I made a comment that what changed them into this ragtag bunch of losers, they weren't losers, but it makes it sound better, was one thing, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told them in Acts 1 to wait until what we're going to read today. 
And so I don't know if, uh, here, here's my one thing. This is what I want us to walk away with, and hopefully the illustration, uh, the bucket that I'm going to give you to take home with you today will be a reminder of that this week. Here's my one thing that I want to communicate. The Holy Spirit changes everything. And I'm grateful for all the fathers here that are faithfully being what God has called them to be. But the reality is, is that without the Holy Spirit, we'll always be less of a father than what God has called us to be. So a couple of years ago, um, there was a book written by this guy named Francis Chan. Uh, He wrote a book called The Forgotten God. I don't know if you've heard of Francis Chan or if you've heard of the book Forgotten God. But he basically comes to this reality that we as the church, have uh, we're okay with the Father and we're okay with the Son, but we're sometimes not okay with the Holy Spirit. And, and because of that, we, we, we kind of forget it. We kind of put it off to the side. And some of that's partly because we, we, don't, we lack understanding. Some of it, honestly, is a weird experience. We had a weird experience that was put under the whatever of the Holy Spirit, and that is like, I'm just going to stay away from that. I mean, it's like if you touch an outlet, you probably won't do that again. You know, some of it's fear of the unknown. Some of it, honestly, especially with the Holy Spirit, is the fear of letting go. The fear of literally giving ourselves wholly and completely to God the Father in living in this relationship like the Father and the Son lived as He was here on earth. Where he, he literally said, I, I don't do anything that I don't see the Father doing, and I don't say anything that I don't hear the Father speaking. And that relationship is the relationship that God has given us through the Counselor. I mean, this is the one thing that Jesus said, um, it is to your benefit that I leave. I, I grew up in church and around church, and I honestly, for a long time, would have much preferred Jesus in the flesh with me day in, day out, telling me, like, don't do that. Or do this. But the reality is, as long as Jesus was in the flesh, when he was here on earth, he was in one place. And so if Jesus was in the flesh with me, he would only be with me. And he tells his church that it is your... He tells his disciples that have literally lived and breathed and left everything, that it is better for you that I go away so that I can send the Comforter, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit. He had this quote, uh, um, there's a quote from Francis Chan's book, Forgotten God. It says, the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. We are not all we were made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and presence of the Spirit of God. Part of the reason why I think we are not doing some of the things that we should be doing as a church is because we've, we're trying to do everything in our energy, in our power, in our effort, in our understanding, instead of trusting, listening, engaging, and being led by the one thing that God gave us to be led by, which is His Holy Spirit. And we miss out on these things, which I'm not going to go through all these. And um, Titus 3.5, he regenerates. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. He regenerates and renews. John 14.26, he is our helper. Uh, Romans um, 15.13, he fills the believer with joy and peace. 
1 Corinthians 12.4, He gives gifts. 1 Corinthians 2.10-11, He teaches us. He actually tells you, there's so many things that I have to tell you, but I, I don't have time, but the Holy Spirit will give you what you need when I'm not here. But here, here, here's the tension, and this is partly where I'm coming in with this bucket that you're going to leave with. You can get cheaper buckets at the dollar store, which I learned after I ordered these fine buckets off of Amazon. I mean, not a whole lot more, but could have saved a little bit of money. So there are some back there that have sparkles in them, and if you're down with that, those cost a little bit less, and they're bigger. But So here, here's the tension. Our lives, we will fill ourselves with something. We will. We'll fill ourselves with our, our, our climb up the ladder in the corporate world. We'll fill ourselves with love of another person. We'll fill ourselves with hate, which we see a lot in social media and other outlets. We'll fill ourselves with lust and desire that leads all kinds of places. We will fill ourselves with something. It is. We've seen the overflow of that. And the problem with filling ourselves with anything is the only thing that we have to pour out of ourselves is what we have in us. Luke six forty five illustrates this. It says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You ever wonder why you just flip out? Why you're angry when someone cuts in front of you? Why you lose it when your child do some, does something that you don't want them to do, or a co-worker, or a boss. I mean, I'm talking about lose it. And I've seen, I mean, it's kind of common. We watch shows where people lose it, and it's funny, right? It's funny in, until it's us. But the reality is what we're seeing right there is we're seeing this lived out. What we're pouring into our, our life, what we're putting into our life will come out of us. And if we fill ourselves with this selfish, self-centered desire to make me happy. Everything that comes in or against that goal will be our enemy. Even if it's those closest to us. And so what I want to try to do, and I'm not going to explain everything about the Holy Spirit, and this isn't really uh, a place that I'm going to talk about even the gifts of the Holy Spirit. My, my one desire is, is how God birthed the church is this reality. There was no church until the Holy Spirit showed up. And when the Holy Spirit showed up, it changed everything. Overnight, this this got this group of guys, it changed them into this fearful, hiding behind locked doors group of guys into a boldness that changed the city. And so what I, my plan is, is, is I'm going to do a, we're going to talk a little bit of Acts 2, we're going to talk a little bit of Acts 4, and a little bit of Acts 9, and then I'm going to encourage us. So let's get into Acts 2. I'm going to read... Um, Verse 1 through verse 8, they're going to be on the screen behind you. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So they're still together. (laughs) 
Um, and just in case you don't under, don't know this, and I looked this up just to make sure that I was correct, um, Pentecost is an event, one of the three major events that the Jews celebrate, was 50 days or 49 days after Passover. In, in what it was a celebration of in their culture was the giving of the Torah, the giving of the life that was their final, for them, understanding of who God was, the giving to them of the Word. See, Passover freed them, or us, from physical bondage. They were in slavery. It's a reminder that God freed them from Egypt. But the giving of the Torah on Pentecost redeemed us spiritually from our bondage to idolatry and immorality. You know, God doesn't do, it wasn't like, oh man, like i got to come on Thursday because i got some Friday and Wednesday. God has purpose and intention for everything He's doing. And it's, it's not by accident that what their celebration of their spiritual renewer, the giving of the Torah, God's going to continue with His giving of the Holy Spirit. So they're in the room in verse 2 it says, And suddenly there came from heaven like a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. We can say that's weird. I mean, it is. It's something they had never seen. They're standing in a group, and they're basically hiding. A rushing wind comes into the room. When you're in a room, like if a rushing wind comes into this room, it would be odd. I'm not talking about the air conditioning kicking on. I'm talking about a rushing wind. And then these little fires appear above you. Ah, I mean, can you imagine they're sitting there like, (laughs) I mean, God, they didn't get it that Jesus was going to pop out of that tomb. They didn't get what the Holy Spirit was going to be. They were clueless. And all of a sudden it appears and they're like, I'm glad it didn't say any of them ran because I'm just telling you, if this happens right now, some of y'all are going to be like, ah, I'm out of here. In verse 4, it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Up until this point, up until this point in the Bible, the Holy Spirit does interact with people. But the Holy Spirit didn't rest and stay in people. The Holy Spirit would come all throughout the Old Testament and would interact, would would do what needs to be done, and then that Holy Spirit would go away. This is the beginning of the Holy Spirit coming and taking up residence in His children. This is new. It says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5, it says, Now they were dwelling now... There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. See, another cool thing about what's going on here is that all of God's children were in the city to celebrate Pentecost. They were there for this purpose. And all of those children had a full understanding, maybe not they didn't get it, but they had a full understanding of the promise And the coming of the Messiah. And when God opened up, which is getting ready to happen, the reality of what actually happened, because they didn't get it, even when they put Jesus on the cross, 
the Jews thought they were getting rid of the thing that was going to take away their position and place in, the, in their world. They were going to lose their religion if Jesus became more popular. In verse 6 it says, And at this sound, the multitude came together. Easily entertained. We're so easily entertained. Just like when you're in high school or middle school and a fight breaks out. You don't go like, oh, that's boring. No, what do you do? Don't act like that you have never gone to look at a fight before people. I mean, you're like, there's a noise. You're like, oh, what's going on? Maybe somebody's famous is here. And they, they go, and so there's this, there's this noise. There's no good TV shows on back then. There was nothing to keep. There was no social media. There was no Facebook. They weren't worrying about getting their Snapchat, you know, schedule going or, you know, streaks going. It was like, there was a noise, and they're like, we got to go check this out. Don't want to miss out. And they were be- bewildered. Because each one, because these are, these are people, Jews, from different nations that spoke different languages all in one place. And because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And how that happened, I don't know. I don't know if God changed it, like literally they were speaking the language that these people were hearing, or, or literally God was translating it for them. Don't know for sure. But we do know that all of these people from different language groups were hearing the gospel. And they were amazed and astonished. Saying that are not all of these speaking Galileans? Like, where is this coming from? And how is it that we hear each of us his own native language? Well, one of them had a theory that they're just drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, and I'm not saying that you don't get drunk. You don't. I don't. I'm not saying that some people don't get drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning, but it's a rarity, especially in this day and age. And, and I don't know. I'm no, I know for sure none of you have been drunk in here before, right? Okay. But I'm pretty sure that alcohol has never made you smarter. Has alcohol ever made you speak another language? I mean, you, maybe... That you've heard from someone else because you've never been drunk before. I know. Never touch that evil stuff. But that's the thing. Like maybe they're drunk. And then Peter breaks in to that reality. He said, "Guys, they're not. It's nine o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk." And then he preaches a sermon. I mean, he preaches. You know what he does? He, he doesn't just say experience. He literally says, here is the word of God from the Torah, from what they understood, and explain this is who Jesus was. And they were cut to the core, to the point of going, what, what, what must we do? Like, what must we do? It wasn't like, man, I, I'm, I'm moved to be a part of this, because it was nothing. It wasn't like, oh, I want to join that church, because they've got... You know, great. Look at this pipe and drape here. I want to go to church that has pipe and drape. Just like that. That's classic stuff. That's six years old. It's been hauled and, you know, only touch it with gloves. But, you know, they they weren't like, hey, I want to be a part of this. It was something completely new. And in that moment, through the power of the Holy Spirit, this was not like Peter didn't just finally learn how to write a sermon. Okay, that's partly why I need you to pray before you listen to me. 
Peter didn't just write the best sermon ever and it just worked finally. God empowered Peter to speak the word of God in a, a means, in a method that people could understand. And in that understanding, it changed them. 3,000 people got saved and baptized. Could you, I mean, I've done a, some baptisms in my life, but I've never baptized 3,000 people. I mean, can you imagine? I'm sure they had to share the load. I mean, even if you had to split that between the 12, could you imagine baptizing a couple hundred people? You won't need to go to the gym. If you're going to, I mean, just like, boom. 3,000 people were saved and baptized, and the church began. People are like this, because there was something that wasn't there before. There was a power that wasn't there before. And they had tasted it. They had experienced it with Jesus, because they're like, how does he speak in such authority? Because he was speaking for God. He was speaking under the power and submitting himself to the Holy Spirit. You know, and so what did they do? They went around and they started preaching the good news. And, and, and what happened right after this is they walked by a guy who had been lame for years and healed him. It's like, started something he got healed well the jewish council didn't like that they brought them in threatened them with abuse and told them that they are not to speak in the name of jesus again or i mean now i'm telling you what they got a pretty good track record when they kill your boss and they tell you that you know you better watch out like they're it's not like you know, I'm not sure if they're going to do something. It was like when, you know, somebody threatens you, you're like, I'm not really sure if they're going to do that. They, they knew. They had followed through with this. And so what happens, they, they, I mean, they didn't back down. They didn't say, oh, we're not going to teach. They were like, well, we'll, you know, who are we to obey, you or God? And they leave a little scared, I believe, and they go together and say, we've got to pray, guys. I mean, we, we are under persecution already. We are under... We're terrified of what the possibility is. And they got together and they prayed. And so they'd, they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. Like Pentecost happened. And they got together in Acts 4, starting in verse 31. It says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathering together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the number of those who believed of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was their own, but they had everything in common. I mean, can you imagine a church... That they're, they're so committed to that they're going, whatever you need, it's yours. Like Right after this, people were selling property. Two people lied about selling property. It didn't go well for them. And it wasn't, it wasn't that they kept some of the money back. It's that they lied to the Holy Spirit because they wanted to be lifted up. The danger of this reality is who and what we're lifting up. 
And so God gave them again. And, and, and this is the reality. And this is where we're going to get to with this bucket illustration today. Is that living life with and through the Holy Spirit is something that we have to continually be filled with. Continually living in that place of going, God, I need you. I am desperate. Look, our salvation guarantees us one thing. And that's our salvation. The process in which God is making you like himself is a process that we enter into with the Holy Spirit that changes us from being self-centered. Because I'm telling you, if you got saved today, if you were just the most heathen alcohol drinking person ever. I don't really have a big issue. I don't know why I keep bringing that up. Um, maybe somebody needs that in here. But if, if that was you before, you, you even with the movement of the Holy Spirit, sometimes there's a process of you becoming what God wants you to be. Let me, let me just ask, don't raise your hands and don't elbow the spouse that is next to you. Are you there yet? Like, I mean, do you feel like, man, I don't ever lose it. Like, I can't remember the last time that I yelled at somebody or cursed in my brain. Because, you know, Christians don't curse either. Like, we just do it internally. The, the reality is, is there's no person in this room, including me. I, I'm Including me. That has gotten to where God wants you to be. No person. It is a process that is continuing on and on. And it's a process that we are constantly having to go back to that place. Because even after they saw the power of God, they saw 3,000 people get saved. They were threatened. Their immediate wasn't going, we've got to try harder. We've got to not be afraid. And we've got to be bold. Their, their immediate is going, we need you, God. They go back to the source and go, God, we need you. And he feels them Again, and there's a boldness that comes with that because they are being formed and fashioned into what God designed them to be. And something crazy happens. Okay, so this is the disciples. They were struggling in their structure and they hired some, didn't hire, but they brought up some um, deacons that were going to help with some of the work. One of those deacons was Stephen. man filled with faith and the Spirit, and he preached a sermon, and they stoned him to death. Stoned him to death. And there was a guy there at this, a young, a young man named Saul, who became Paul, who wrote most of what we call our New Testament sitting there collecting and in agreement with this. And, and so he took this and he actually went and he goes, well, we're, not, we're not shutting the church down enough. Give me letters and license to go throughout the region and get rid of the way. I mean, you're talking about somebody zealous. There's, and we, we, we've talked about Paul before. There's no one more zealous and given into him being a disciple than Paul. I mean, he was completely sold out to the point that he was going into areas that weren't even his areas, other cities, to bring down the way. 
And just for all of those people that have relatives or you're sitting in this room who are like, I don't like Jesus, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, I am never going to be a Christian. Acts 9 is a great example of you don't really get to choose. Paul was doing his thing on a whore, on a donkey, going to bring down the church. God shined a light on him, knocked him off his horse, blinded him, spoke to him. I mean, Paul wasn't going, man, I'm really, I'm seeking, like, I just want to know the truth. He had his truth. He had his truth, and God knocked him off that truth horse and said, the one you're persecuting is me. You're my chosen instrument and sends him to the city. And when he gets there in the city, he's blinded for three days. He doesn't eat or drink. And he's been shown in this vision that this guy is going to come in and, and, and God sends the Holy Spirit to uh, this other guy that's supposed to go to Saul. But he knows who Saul is. He actually argues with God like, I don't, you know, that guy, is, he's got a letter. He can send me to jail. The great thing is, filled with the Holy Spirit, he decided to do what he didn't want to do. And he went to Paul and prayed over Paul, and the scales fall off his eyes. And God does in him what he wanted to do. Listen to this. Not that what I'm getting ready to say. So Acts 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go. For he, and this is talking, um, I think Ananias is his name. Could be wrong. Um, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul. Could you imagine? Listen to the the word. I mean, he's, he's talking in future tense. I mean, not really, but he's calling him brother. This one guy that he didn't even want to go into his house. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and was baptized. So what changed the early church, was not men who finally decided to be the men that God had called them to be. What changed the early church is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit interacting through the disciples. The Holy Spirit picking, choosing, deciding for Paul, Saul, who became Paul, what he was going to be filling him There was nothing else that changed us. Changed them, which changed us because we are here today in Leland, North Carolina, but because of these men and the faithfulness of what God did in and through them with the Holy Spirit. 
So here, here's where I want to land. There is no lasting change or transformation without life with the Holy Spirit. So how do we receive and cultivate this life with the Holy Spirit? First, first is be a child. The Holy Spirit is promised to His children. And after that, it's asked for it. Uh, Luke eleven thirteen. It says, if you then who are evil, talking about us, me, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Some of it's literally just going, God, I need you. It's a desperation of going, God, I can do everything right. Because Paul did everything that you should be doing. And still missed it. He memorized their whole book of holy texts. Memorized it. Knew it backwards and forward. He had the best theology of his day. Under his understanding. And he still missed it. Ask for it. And then the second part. is begin to put in your bucket. Begin to fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. And look at this in Ephesians five fifteen through 18. It says, look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's something I pulled out of one of the commentaries. How? How does this start? The closest parallel is in the story of what it's actually saying. Don't get drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. How do you get drunk with wine? Come on now. I know we're talking, you know, like you feel like... You say anything about like, well, I don't know how you get drunk, Keith. Don't. I mean, maybe you drink it. I don't know. How you get drunk with wine is you drink it, and and, and the reality is 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 most likely the wine of their day is not like the wine of our day. It was most likely considerably weaker alcoholic, you know, content content, um, was considerably weaker than it was now. So to get drunk in this day, you had to drink a lot of it. So the reality of that is, is if you're going to fill, Romans 8 talks about this, those who live by the Spirit are going to set their minds on the things of the Spirit, one of the, the greatest ways that you can begin to fill your life with the reality of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you is by pouring in the right things. And the first right thing, more than any other right thing, is going to always be the Word of God. It is the clearest thing that we know and can understand who God is. 
And so what I, I want to do this morning, what I, what I want to leave you with today, and, and you give you your little plastic bucket, is that if you're going to fill your life with something, and, and you know, without me saying, what your life is looking like right now, what, what's coming out of your bucket, what's coming out of your mouth, what's coming out of your thought life, and if it isn't the things that you want it to be, the reality is, is you are putting in the wrong things. You are allowing on your own what is going into your body. I mean, the problem is is that the more and more we get into this social media culture, the more and more we open ourselves to, to be filled with things that are not going to transform our lives. See, the result of this is going to be, and Galatians is not going to be on the screen. apologize for this. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, this is the fruit of the Spirit of God living in us is going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So if you want to know if it's working in your life, or it's not working, when, when you're pouring yourself out in your actions, in your words, in your thought life, is this the result? Are, are, are you have an overabundance of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? It is the litmus test to the reality of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If this isn't the case, then something needs to change. It doesn't mean that you don't have the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that you're not a child of God. It means that right now you're not actively being fruitful in the Holy Spirit. Here's another quote for you, and then we're going to wrap things up. From Francis Chan's Forgotten God. I'm quoting him, so... I'm going to say I think, but it's him thinking. I think a lot of us need to forget about God's will for my life. Let that linger there for a second. I think a lot of us need to forget about God's will for my life. God cares more about our response to Holy Spirit's leading today, in this moment. Then about what we tend to do or intend to do next year. In fact, the decisions that we make next year will be profoundly affected by the degree to which we submit to the Spirit right now in today's decisions. It is easy to use the phrase God's will for my life as an excuse for inaction or even disobedience. It's much less demanding to think about God's will for your future than it is to ask Him what He wants you to do in the next ten minutes. It is safer to commit to following Him someday instead of today. Band, if you come on up. Look. The reality is, is what I what I do every Sunday is I speak for about 35 to 40 minutes. 
I always preach out of the text. But the reality is, is Paul had all the preaching, all the teaching, all the understanding. Now, it was limited because he was at the beginning of the transition to what the church has become, and he had no influence of the Holy Spirit. But it was the Holy Spirit that made him who we admire today. I mean, if you open outside of the Gospels in the New Testament, if you open any of those books, the greater reality is that he wrote one of those. The man who was going around persecuting and admonishing or agreeing with murdering of fellow, not fellow, well, they became fellow, but believers. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came and interacted with his life did he change. And if you're here this morning, if you're struggling changing those things that you know God doesn't desire for you to have in your life, whatever it may be, the reality is, is you, let me tell you, let me, personal experience, you will never change yourself. I mean, you might change yourself for a week. You might be like three days into a good behavior. But the reality is, is without the influence, without life in the Spirit, there's no transformation. And so where we're going to go, we're, we're going to land as we worship. And I, I, I beg of you, is interact with God. Like we don't put a song at the end of our service so that we keep you here a few more minutes. So you can't go use your mission barbecue $5 gift card for a few more minutes. The reason why we linger here is because the greatest opportunity for us to respond to what God is doing is right now. And if your life isn't a reflection of who you want it to be, if your life isn't a reflection of being a small Christ, then the reality is is you're filling your life with the wrong thing. Period. Like we can we can try harder, we can whatever, but the the fruit of the Spirit is what comes as we release and go, God, I'm yours. When I read your word, that is the result. That is my goal. And so what I would like for you to do, this is whatever. I have eighty of these, enough for every single person in this room. I mean, if you want if you want if you want to be bold. You can get one of the bigger ones and say, I want more. Just saying. So if you see somebody with a big bucket, you know that they are really hungry for God. Just kidding. There's only 20 of those, so you can fight for them later. Um, but what I want you to do this week, and if you get nothing else of this, I, I just want you to put this somewhere where you see it for seven days. And just go, God, intentionally. Like, I want to put the right things in my bucket. God, I, I want to wake up in the morning and say, God, I... I'm yours. Today I'm yours. I I want you to interact with you. I want, as I open your word, I want you to speak to me. And you begin to fill those things. And as God says, and I I believe he already has in this period, as I was saying, like other things that were poured into your life, there's things that are coming into your brain that you're convicted of, not condemned by, but you're convicted of. Begin to cut some of those things out. Could be some of the music you listen to, some of the TV shows that you binge on could be some of the relationships that you have that are toxic. And I'm not talking about your immediate family. So, like, you can't get rid of your children um, or your spouse. 
Let's, let's keep them around. But this week, just go. What, what would it look like if I just asked God, I want to be your chosen instrument to love people this week? And, and we literally begin to beg God to fill us with the things that we can pour out that will bring change. Like our world doesn't want to hear another sermon, especially in the South. They want to see the reality of who God is in you. Because if, if your life is not desirable, and I'm not talking about like your pocket book or your car or your, where you live. I'm talking about like there's, there's, a, there's people that you interact with, that there's a joy that's in them that you're like, I want that. Like Paul said that we, we are an aroma to life or an aroma to death. Like, I want us to be an aroma to life that people get around us and not that we're perfect, not that we're doing everything right, but they're going, there's something in them that I want. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you right now that your grace and mercy is sufficient. Lord, I just want to pray over this room right now as... um, There's a lot of things that potentially are swirling around. There's a lot of potential condemnation that that we're not good enough for you. And Lord, I, I pray that you allow the reality of the cross to destroy that lie. And Lord, where we've been resistant, where we've been pushing back, where we've decided we want to look Christian but not be Christian, I pray that you would get rid of that idolatry in our life. And that you would allow us the desire for you. Lord, we we ask that you would fill us. Lord, I, I ask right now, Lord, I need more of you. Every day that I try to be what you've called me to be without you is a day that I get in trouble. And so, Lord, right now we confess that our effort and our energy to do what we think we should do versus surrender. Lord, you desire obedience over sacrifice. And we want to be obedient to you, but we cannot. We cannot without you. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would fill us with the joy and peace that you promise. I ask that you would fill us. So, Lord, today I want to pray over the fathers in this room. Lord, we, we've been given a task that is extremely difficult. And we need you. Lord, I, I need you. Because I fail at being a father all the time when I'm filling my bucket with the wrong things. And we want you to heal us as fathers and as husbands and mothers and wives and children. And I pray that there would just be a spirit of surrender right now to the reality of the gospel that you've given us. And that we wouldn't settle for less than you have for us. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.